I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. All right, so my next very special guest is Chris Prochaska, whom I met about nine months ago up in Bend, Oregon, when I was selected to be an alternate for the Bend TEDx talk. And I was just so impressed by Chris's ability to tune into people, especially me at the time, and to encourage my process to get ready for this talk by really tapping into my intuition. And remember, you were saying some things to me once that kind of, even for me, kind of scared me, which was, well, if you get up there, Dean, and you you just feel the flow, go Mm -hmm. with it. And I was like, oh, yeah, uh, that sounds like it could be interesting, um, like falling <laughs> off of a bridge and hoping that you have a net. But uh, <laughs> yep. so just a quick background about Chris, and I'm reading right from your bio. It's a great bio, but she's got 20 years experience as a therapist and business consultant to help laser right in on the root issue with her clients and provide practical solutions. And maybe it's because she prefers cowboy boots to heels. She's mm-hmm. been described as an intuitive sharpshooter. I love this copy, by the way, who mm-hmm. knows exactly what an individual or company needs it to eliminate and to do more in order to bring them into alignment for greater purpose, productivity, and profit. Her 2015 TED Talk has over 234,000 views. Wow. And while she spoke about how to get your kids to listen and engage, the principal holds true in business as well. She's also a TEDx speaker, which is how I met her, and coach, and the author of Live Well, Spoken, Free Your Inner Voice, and Prosper. And she's a certified GB, is it GB5? BG5. BG5, excuse me about that, uh, human design uh, business consultant and human design profit productivity, a potential coach. So Chris, when did you first sort of know that you were sort of intuitive? Was there some example that you could share that said, I think I've got something here? (laughs) Yeah, I was eight years old and my parents were newly divorced. And I woke up one night, my, my grandmother, who I was pretty close to. I was the oldest granddaughter. I was pretty close to, and we, I think she had passed away, you know, a couple years prior. And I was, you know, I was devastated. I actually kind of knew that my parents were going to split up, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night, one night, right around eight years old, when we had just moved to a new house, split up from my dad. And sat up and at the end of my bed, my grandmother was standing there and I could see her as clear as I could, you know, see my hand right here. She was, you know, white, but it, but I could see her and she looked at me and she said, everything's going to be okay. And I knew she was right. And I believed her and I held on to that all these years. And then when I was in my twenties and I was doing clinical diagnostic interviews for a research project up in Seattle, Washington at the University of Washington. I was doing psych evals. And I remember doing, you know, I had to determine whether or not somebody was, you know, psychotic and they wouldn't be able to do the the study if they were. And so I remember them telling me, well, I see dead people. And I was like, well, you know, so do I. So you got to impress me here. Like, I really want to know whether or not you're actually, you know, having a hallucination, which is a very different thing. And I think back then, like, so it was in my early twenties. I mean, there's another kind of funny story that I could share, which is when I was about 16, I guess must 15 years old, because we were sitting on the bus, my girlfriends and I, and they said, we, you know, we were talking about, oh, boys and getting married and, you know, what we we're going to do like with the rest of our lives. And it was one of those weird party pauses where the the bus got really quiet. You know how you have a, everybody's talking, it's really loud. And then suddenly it gets, everybody stops talking all at once. And right at that moment, I was saying to my friends, 
the first man that I marry is not the man I'm going to stay with. And I will not have children until I'm 35. And mm-hmm. my friends looked at me and they're like, uh, that was specific. Okay. Yeah, where did this come like, from? Yeah. Where did that come from? I don't know. And sure enough, the first man I could have you know, tattooed his ass, his name on my ass. Cause it was the same name, right? Mike, I married a Mike and then we divorced and then I married another Mike. So I was joke that we just, and, and then right after my, I turned 35, literally within a month, I was pregnant with our first child. This is fascinating. And I've heard stories. My wife, Joanne has her own versions of some of the things you just talked about. And I would almost describe it as, as almost being psychic, you know, yeah. where you can almost tap into something that is of in the past or a person who's passed or something yeah. that could happen in the future. So yes. how would you, in your words, describe the difference or the relationship between someone who has intuition, which yeah. I think in you and I probably would agree that we all have this tool. Yes. Whether we access it or not, whether we trust it or not, whether we have courage to use it or not is a different thing. But we all kind of have this sixth sense, which is probably broken down into really something very biological, just really how much of the brain are we using and how much are we seeing and how much we don't see that is there in front of us. But what's the difference between being intuitive versus being psychic? Yeah, that's such a great question. And one that I've been, you know, wondering about myself. And I think for those of us who like to geek out on stuff like this, have been, you know, bantering around about this question for a long time as well. So for me, I agree with you that for me, it's, you know, standard operating, you know, uh, software. We are all intuitive. It, it comes with, as part of the package of being human. I say that you know we communicate energetically first and foremost, and really, intuition is nothing more than the ability to perceive and be aware of energy without a construct or preconceived notion about it. So it's it's this awareness. And there's no processing that goes through the mind, if you will, in that moment of awareness, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the ability to perceive energy, again, without any construct, human words around it. And again, some people experience it more visually, some it's auditory, some it's very tactile, some experience it in their body, uh, so it's more kinesthetic. But everybody has that. And, you know, we, when, as we're growing up, we get validated or not for those awarenesses, right? As children. And that, I believe, is one of the ways that it gets shut down or not practiced or sort of like, yeah, 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 whatever. I guess that doesn't matter. And so we sort of forget, right? Mm-hmm. Every kid is really, really intuitive. But being psychic, I think that my experience is that anyone could develop psychic abilities. I believe, at least at this point in my life, that some of us may be more attuned to that, whether that's, uh, I don't know, genetic or spiritual. I have no idea why or what that's about, but I do believe it's something that can be developed. And yeah, I mean, I guess that's, and to me, the psychic ability is really to be able to, the, it's sort of like the veil between past, present, and future is much thinner. And there is a deeper awareness of realities beyond just this one, the physical one, where we're all, you know, we're alive and we're talking right here. And then there's the awareness of ancestors and loved ones who've passed on and being able to communicate with them in a very direct way. Like very, it's, it's as if I'm talking to you hmm. and, um, and I've had that experience before and it's, it's quite different than just that, intu- you know, sort of intuitive hit. So is psychicness intuition on steroids or <laughs> is it a different mechanism that's at play? Mm. That is a really good question. I think what it is, yeah, I guess I would say, 
yeah, if it was a, you know, a steroidal thing, yeah, that they're, you've, it's like you've turned up the volume awareness. So if, if we have a, a little dial, you know, all the way to the left would be like completely shut down, right? There's no, it's like, if I can't see it or touch it, smell it, taste it, or hear it with my physical ears, it doesn't exist, right? That's like the, that's way on the bottom of the, you know, not bottom, that sounds like it's a bad thing, but just, you know, degree of openness and awareness, let's put it that way. And then all the way to the right, the dial all the way to the right would be, you know, this is such an interesting thing. I wonder sometimes if the dial all the way to the right is somebody who's actually turned a little bit too much to the world of their psychic abilities and they're having a hard time being in the physical world. Mm. So I think it's about finding a nice balance in between where you're open and intuitive, but you have to live in this physical world. So yeah, I guess I would say it is, it's kind of on steroids or, you know, the dial is turned up on that awareness and we can, we can titrate that dial. We can turn that dial. We can learn how to develop those skills. So the words that I've read about this subject seems to say in some people's books and talks and so forth is that our intuition is in some ways based on our experience. Like our experience is the platform and then the intuition is our ability to pattern recognize and to perceive things that maybe our conscious mind cannot see, but our unconscious mind can see. And what it almost seems like you're saying is that mechanism of tuning in is the same for intuition as it is for being psychic. However, what you're perceiving as a psychic is not necessarily your experience. It's something that is pattern recognizing at a much vaster array you know, when you're talking about time zones and past and present and people who are alive or dead, it's mm-hmm. it's much further out. Does that seem to align with your thinking as well? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my experiences and I agree that the pattern recognition for sure with, with intuition. And, and again, it's interesting because I use the tool of human design to really show people exactly how their specific intuition works. You know, a lot of times people will say, you know, your intuition, just trust your gut. Right. And it's sort of like, well, we can actually get very fine tuned here. Trusting your gut is sort of the most crass way to listen to your intuition. It's super valuable, but also recognize that about, you know, there's a, 30% of the population wouldn't even know what that meant because they, they don't perceive things through their gut. That's not how they listen to it. Mm. And so we can get really fine tuned about that. So yeah, there's, there's pattern recognition. There's, you know, that ability to, let me put it this way. Like I, I read a lot and I, and you know, I'm, I know you do too. And, and those of us who are, you love to study all this, like we're a lot of what we do is we're just reading, we're studying, we're collecting information, points of view and storing them right somewhere. <laughs> and, and oftentimes you know, I work with clients. I don't know their industry. I have no idea what the, you know, the specific thing that they do. But when they're telling me, you know, I have this issue or this is going on, I, the way I perceive it, my, my experience is that it's almost like I'm, my brain is like a web crawler. It's like Google. Mm. Uh, So someone will put in, I'm thinking about this and my brain and my awareness shoots out in like hundred directions at once. And I'm, it's, it's like, is there something there? No, something there? No, something there? there. Oh yeah. Right there. And then it'll start to go down that path a little bit more and explore it. And that to me is sort of my intuition, like the way my intuition works, Hmm. but psychic ability is the ability to go to a whole nother place that I've never been, that I've not I don't have, there's no pattern to recognize there. There's nothing. It's making a connection and a contact. I'm thinking specifically of a mediumship. I was studying mediumship for a while and um, 
it was, it was funny because it was almost like the more I learned about mediumship, the worse I got <laughs> like oh. when I was just doing it because I didn't know any better. And I was just like, you know, okay, I'm going to practice. I'm going to, I'm going to make a connection. And I have no idea. Like I, you know, a person would say, Hey, I'd love to receive a mediumship reading. And I go, okay, great. And then I say, I don't want to know anything about anybody. You know, I don't, don't tell me anything because I don't want to have any preconceived notion about what's going to happen. Hmm. And then I would just sit in meditation and write down everything that came to me. And then I would share that. And they would say, how do you know that? That, yeah, that's exactly, this is, this, you're talking about my grandfather. This is, you know, yes, I had ballerinas on my wallpaper, right? Mm. Like that was, how did you know that? And I was like, I don't know. I just kept seeing ballerinas twirling around and she, and so it was like, there's no way I could have known those things. There's nothing, there's no pattern to recognize. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That there's, Absolutely. That's the difference for me. Yeah. Yep. So let me back up a little bit and shift gears here if I could. Yeah. You know, one of the things that your show really is about is this idea that intuition is socially inconvenient. Yes. What does that mean? Tell me more about why you think intuition is socially inconvenient and, you know, kind of expound on that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of how I started really developing my intuition and being more attuned to it and intentional about it was when my kids were little. And I remember being at a park and this guy was at the park and he was really giving me the creeps. And I was thinking to myself, I was pregnant with our daughter and our son was running around. He's like three and a half. And I thought, how am I going to keep my kids safe? Because most of the people that are here at this park are safe, but there are people that aren't right and i was thinking how do i teach them to be safe you know because it's not about stranger danger it's like so i had this this hit that i was like teach them to trust their intuition hmm. because they know right we can feel when something's off and and i thought if i teach them to honor that at a very young age then as they get older because that's where i got in trouble right where little kids, it's so beautiful. They, they see someone and they might be like, mommy, I don't like that person, you know? And that's right. Socially inconvenient. Like I don't like them. I don't want to give them a hug, you know? And we override that so many times as adults, like go and hug your aunt, you know, or your uncle. And it's like, I don't like that person. I don't want to. And instead we, we, we have these social niceties about what's okay and what's not okay to do in a social context. Whereas kids typically will have an awareness of, no, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. But we, over, we teach them to override that. So <laughs> as we get to adults hmm. and you know we're having a, a, a hit that like, this isn't cool, something's not being said here, it's often really socially awkward and inconvenient. We, we go, let's be nice about this. So I'll give you a quick example. Recently, I was talking with a friend of mine and, and she said, you know, I really want you to meet this person. And I think you guys would really hit it off. Maybe you won't, but I think it would be really cool to collaborate on something. And intuitively, I was like, this is weird. I can't seem to reach out. I don't feel, I'm not feeling it. You know, I'm not feeling like I want to reach out, but I couldn't figure out what that was. And I thought, okay, I'll go ahead and we'll sit, we'll sit together. And we met via Zoom. So we're meeting via video. And, you know, there, and I'm like this, you know, my one friend, I'm like, can't you tell that I'm not comfortable? Like this is, I'm not being my normal self here. Like this is not comfortable. And so when it came to the point of, hey, let's collaborate, I was like, you know, I got to just say, like, this doesn't feel right. And mm. I get that this is probably really awkward, but I'm not feeling it. And in the past, though, what I would have done, and I think a lot of people do this, is we go, oh, okay, great. Yeah, sure. Well, why don't we just circle back? And um, okay, well, yeah, you know, and, and be nice, right? And get off the phone and then turn back to the friend and say, yeah, I just don't know it's going to work. I'll just, and make up some excuse. And then avoid it. Feel and, about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so right. in business, you have a lot of people who become yes men and yes women to leaders 
who are like, just give me the straight up answer. What do you really feel? It's like, well, if I told them what I really feel, I might lose my job. And so we have to be very aware as leaders and, and coaching our leaders to be you know, you don't have to agree with what people, but you you do need to take into consideration that if you trust your your advisors, right, that are on your board or on your organizational team, that when they say, you know, I got a funny feeling about this, to go, yeah, I okay, let's explore that. What's going on? Instead of, well, off with your heads, you know, <laughs> like we're gonna do this, and I, right. that's what I mean by it gets really, you know, kids don't have, they're like, no, I don't like that. I don't want to, you know, they don't care. They're okay being socially inconvenient. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're just transparent, right? They're just transparent. Right. But as adults, we are like, oh no, we have to do all the, and then what happens is we waste time. We we may waste money. We create conflict that doesn't need to be there. We create drama that really doesn't need to be there. And make up all kinds of stories about why we shouldn't do something instead of just going, I have an intuitive hit. This isn't the, the way we need to go. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's explore it. And I think it's what I noticed too, and I totally agree with you on this one, is that on all the things you're saying, but it, this is striking a chord for me is I've, I've noticed in myself and I've noticed in other people that they have made a decision to build their business, to take on a client, to hire an employee, and then later finding out, oh, that was wrong. Yeah. Oh man. And then you kind of go back and you reflect and you think, okay, what happened here? Because we're all trying to be responsible to our own destiny. And we go, wait a minute. I knew that that wasn't going to yep. work. And why didn't I pay attention to that? You know, like, yeah. why did I hire that person? Or why did I take on that client? And I think that, you know, some, from my perspective, it, you know, the linear mind and the analytical mind becomes so strong and it looks good on paper and, it, oh, yeah. and, it, and it's going to bring in this money. It's going to be the right person because the resume looks good or whatever the case may be. And we override that little voice that says, ah, and we get scared. We get, I do, I get scared. I get, uh, there's a, like a, maybe a, a concern that maybe there's not somebody else there, you know, like mm-hmm. well, this one doesn't work. Is there anybody mm-hmm. else out there? Yeah, maybe I should take the first person I, I find, you know, if I'm mm-hmm. going to hire somebody. And I see this in companies a lot too, where we've got mm-hmm. a database, data analytic kind of perspective and people who want to say something don't because they don't have data to support it. Do you have any tips for, for those of us who, who want to be able to share our intuition, but they want to do it in a way that maybe isn't as blunt as our kids when they're two, right. three, or four, or five, right? We right. still have to live in this construct called being appropriate in business and being appropriate with our friends at, at, you know, as adults. How do we tee them up for, here's my intuition, in a way that doesn't make us look flaky, in a way that doesn't make us look inappropriate? Yeah. Such a great question. So I think that there's two things to think about here. Number one is, are you being asked? So is there a quote unquote, an invitation for you to contribute? So in business, let's look at business here for a moment. So if you're, and this really has to also kind of get, if we pull back even a just slightly larger, bigger picture and say, number one, as a leader, are you open to that feedback? (laughs) Because if you're not right there, there's a big red flag, Mm -hmm. right? And I don't think you should be open to everyone. It's sort of like everybody pitch in, you know, give me your opinion or, or intuition. I think you need to find who your trusted, you know, people are, but there has to be an agreement that, you know, I'm asking for your counsel and I'm willing to hear it and I'm willing to discuss it, right? Like I'm willing for you to say, that's not going to work. That's not going to fly. So it starts there. So we have to be open. And then when we are sitting around that table, if you know someone says, well, hey, you know, Sam, I'll just say, hey, Sam, you know, I know you really want to take it in this direction. I just have you know, there's something it's, and and you could just say like, I don't know, I have that funny little feeling in my stomach that, and I can't tell if it's, you know, indigestion, like it could kind of be a little funny, but you can't right. really tell, is it something I ate or something just doesn't feel quite right. Can we, can we just pause for a moment and, and talk about what might, what else there's feels like maybe there's another option here, hmm. whatever the appropriate thing is. Right. But if that leader is not open and hasn't asked, 
that's a big piece of it, right? And I really think we need to coach our leaders to be open and again, find the people that they trust, not their yes men, but they're the ones who are going to say, hey, man, this is not, this doesn't feel right, you know, and be really open. And so it's about creating an atmosphere where that's possible. And then, uh, and then I think it just works, right? So, and personally, you know, I may be sitting with a friend and she's telling me, you know, this, this, and this. And if she has not asked, hey, what do you, you know, what's your feeling on this or something? And I start going, well, my intuition says that you need to da, da, da. That is a big no-no. And I think that what happens is that those of us who are intuitive and can see sort of the big picture, maybe even see into the future, right? I remember one time I had a, a girlfriend who she was, you know, dating this guy. And I was like, he is not a, you know, he's, this is not a good thing, right? He's a jerk. And of course I tried to tell her that, you know, because she didn't ask me, but I felt like it was my duty as her friend. And, you know, they ended up getting married and, you know, a couple years later divorcing. And there's like, if it's, if you don't have an invitation, it's none of your damn business. And I think that people have this thing like, well, I have an intuitive hit, so I need to share it. It's like, no, that's not your business. So I think it's really looking at, is there an invitation? Is there an opening? Because if there isn't, you need to wait. And that's another piece of the sort of honoring the intuition. I think there's a lot of people who who kind of misuse it. And then it becomes, they look flaky and they... You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I, no, I totally do. And I, when I've noticed, like I spend a lot of time with companies and executives and sit in on their board meetings and so forth. And, you know, everyone's in a suit and tie and around big tables and intuition does not seem to have a seat at that table right. because of the fact that we're talking about things relative to plans and strategies and data and all of those sort of things and, you know, marketing. And, and so how do you, so what I've been trying to, be aware of and notice is how do we make it okay to speak intuitively, even though we may not call it out that that's what it is? You know, how do we, how do we look credible without looking, you know, flaky? And one of the things I've watched some people who do this pretty well do is sort of give the, give them a huge out. I don't know whether this makes sense. I may be barking up the right tree. I know this has no facts to back this up. So you've outed yourself that I'm going to come into this conversation with no facts. But I just got a, I just got a crazy harebrained idea. What about, and then you fill in the blank, or Mm -hmm. I sense that this, and then you fill in the blank. And if you do it with a certain amount of care and attention and, and reverence to the conversation and to the person with whom you're speaking, often it's taken in a positive light, not always, but it's often taken in a positive light. And I think that people have to be a little bit more assertive in the appropriate way in order to have that intuitive conversation take place. But at the same time, some of the people are just not participating in these conversations because they don't have the data. And so it's it's an engagement activity. It's a Mm -hmm. showing up activity. It's a it's an activity of being authentic to mm-hmm. participate as as much as it is around whether I've got intuition or not. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And I think that I, I will often do that too. I'll say, hey, you know, just you tee it up and you really, you know, part of also being intuitive is there's an aspect of being empathic and empathizing with the other who's on the, you know, and kind of putting yourself in their shoes and saying, okay, I know that they're a very logical person. I know that they like to hear things in a certain way. And so it's, it's having some social or, you know, communication skills, which can be developed to, to be able to, to look at the person who's on the receiving end and say it in a way that they can receive it. Hmm. you know? And yeah. so, and I think that's what you're pointing to also, but it it does really come down to this place of honoring both the data and the intuition and the, here are the facts and here's, here, here's how we need to interpret, or here's another way to interpret those quote unquote facts or the numbers. 
Let me go back to your, yeah, the, the title of this show, you know, Intuition is Socially Inconvenient, which is just, it's just great. I love it. <laughs> so I've got an awareness, all of us do, that we get ourselves hooked. We get ourselves upset about things. We sort of know that we overreact to things. We know that we sometimes get our buttons pushed and we have a bad day. We kind of like, why am I feeling this way? I just feel so upset. It could be, I don't know, you know, an argument that reminds you of another argument, or Mm -hmm. it could even be that you just didn't get enough sleep and you drink coffee and you had a donut for breakfast and you have Mm -hmm. all that weird sugar in your system and it makes Mm -hmm. you edgy and it makes you out of sorts, you know? This is where I sometimes struggle, and I sometimes have other people talk telling me this too. Is like, how do I know that I really am tapping into my intuition versus my stuff? Oh yeah, you know, like oh, I just don't like that guy, the woman that you described. You know, the yep. the girl who wanted to maybe date yeah. somebody goes, but he reminds me of my ex. No, now it's that's about me versus you know what. I just have an intuitive feeling about this and it has nothing to do with me. What, how do we trust that side? Yeah. yeah. Oh, such a good question. Okay. So here's how I see it and, and how I talk about it with my clients, because most of, you know, it's what you're saying is how do I tell the difference between intuition and a fear, or like you said, you know, past experience or whatever. Well put. Yeah. So our intuition is, so unlike a spreadsheet with facts on it, right, or numbers or data, which is there and it is, um, you can see it and you can hold it and you can pass it around and it's kind of, I'm going to say, use these words like set in stone, right? I mean, it's there. It doesn't, you know, it's, it is what it is and we can all see it. And even though we may all have, you know, our feelings about the data, right? Oh my God, I'm freaking out. Or, oh, that's really great. Look at how, look how much progress we've made. And someone else might be going, oh my God, look, we're so behind, right? We all have these perceptions of the data right there, which can also give us a little bit of a clue about the intuition. And intuition comes quickly. It comes silently often. Sometimes it's like a, a, a you know a feeling in the in the literally in the gut that just or in the body in the solar plexus somewhere that's like a mm, you know a squishy feeling or butterflies or whatever. But mm. for the most part, it's a deeply personal interior experience and often subtle, and it often will also come like as a you know just a snap and then it's gone. There's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing, there's no spreadsheet. There's no like, hey, I just had this memo and it, and not like you can download it, right? I mean, it's it's something that comes so quickly and immediately, as soon as we have that intuitive hit, our mind jumps in and starts to interpret it. Mm-hmm. It starts to go, why did I have that? What is this about? You know, and and um, or we have an and then we may even have an emotional reaction to that. Oh my God, this means right and blah blah blah. And then we get into this whole story, and then pretty soon we're living through the story and the emotion of the story versus the original intuitive hit. And so this is how what I share with my clients: an intuitive hit has no emotion; it is mm-hmm. neutral; it is pure in its original form. It has no emotional charge to it. So your story now, you about- may have an emotional charge when Sorry. you get that feeling. So for instance, you know, our dog is actually having surgery today. And yesterday we it was, I kind of had this hit. I looked at it and I was like, oh, I just had this feeling like she's gonna need surgery. Like this is serious, right? This she's gonna need surgery. But there wasn't a, it just was a knowing, right? A snap knowing. And then the feeling that came after that was like, oh my God, stress. What does that mean for my, you know, the rest of the day and scheduling and, oh, how much is that going to cost? I mean, all of those things, right? Got it. And so then I can get spun up in the fear and the story behind it. But when we're really aware of just that thing, and I think this is a practice that we all can learn is when I had the hit, was there emotion attached to it? And because that split second, the mind comes in with a story and there's emotion right behind it. 
it can be really difficult to discern that, but it can be done. It just, you need to tease it apart and start to practice that awareness. That's Does a, that make sense? Oh, it's a great piece of information, a great tip. I have not thought of it that way because I have sometimes associated the intuition with the downstream feeling and right. not gone back to with a source, which to your story that uh, I almost interrupted your other one around had was going to ask you about was so when you were starting off our conversation as a, a young mother and you had a creepy feeling, if you will, your words, not mine, about yeah. some guy in the park, the creepy feeling, the concern happened after the intuition. Is that fair to say that you felt something was off, but then the concern, your safety for your children, that was the emotion that was more of a downstream from that? Mm. What was the actual intuition? If you go back to that original story, what was the intuition? What did yeah, it tell you? This is you? so good. I'm so glad you're asking this because this is really help. I'm, you know, okay. I'm going to use another example, very similar, okay. but a different example. And I think let's see if we can tease it apart. Cause I think this is, you know, to me, the most interesting conversation about intuition is not that we have it. It's why we don't listen to it. Hmm. Right. So another example is that I, I was booking speakers for a local women's networking event a few years ago. And I would take recommendations from the other board members or, or whatever, you know, people would apply and, and that. And a couple of my trusted board members, they said, Hey, we should have this guy come and, and talk to us. He's, he's a really great speaker. And I think he would be great. And he's a part of our, you know, Toastmasters group or something like that. And I was like, okay. And I, I was in a time crunch. So here's, here's the, I'll tee it up. I was in a time crunch. I had no other, you know, candidates and I was, I had a lot of other things going on personally. And I was like, okay, yeah, great. Why don't you have him call me and we'll, we'll set it up immediately. I, I kind of had a, you know, I had a little like butterfly feeling in my tummy when they mentioned him, but I ignored it. I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe it's, I'm hungry. I mean, literally I was just whatever. We got on the phone and I kid you not, Dean, as soon as I heard his voice, the hackles went back on my neck. Like mm. my, I had a visceral feeling in my body. It was so powerful. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Weird. Okay. And then I, I just thought, well, whatever. And I just, I just let it set aside and I kept asking him questions and this guy was so good. Like he was really, he could, I think he could feel my reluctance. He could feel my hesitation. He could feel my like, huh, what's going on with this? And so he, it was as if he knew exactly what to say to, it was almost like he was psychically reading me and he knew exactly what to say to calm me down and make me feel comfortable. Hmm. And yet, even then, the whole time, I kept having this feeling like something's not quite right. So we have this whole conversation and I ultimately go, well, okay, I need someone. It's a week out. I trust these other two board members. I trust their discretion. Okay, great. Why don't you, we'll, we'll have you come and talk to our group of women, right? So then we, a week later, we post this guy's picture. Everybody's like, okay, yeah, we're going to have this guy come speak. And then we get a couple of people say, you cannot have that guy come speak. He is a convicted, convicted, convicted child molester. Oh my and I was like, what? <laughs> you know, WTF. I looked and I looked there, I look him up and he, he's right there in an orange suit, in shackles, wow. his mugshot. And the articles about how he's been convicted. I call this guy up and my, I mean, my stomach, you cannot even believe how sick to my stomach I was. And I called this guy up and I said, I cannot have you come speak to my group of women. And he said, I know, I'm so sorry. And I, I mean, he acknowledged, yeah, this, and I thought, wow. So the, the thing about it is that I had a bottom there. It wasn't that there was an emotion, my body 
had a reaction. And that was the same thing that happened in the park. So my body was telling me, ah, like, no. And we often will override that like, oh, maybe I ate something funny for lunch or, oh, it's cold in here or, oh, you know, oh, that's whatever. We're not actually in our bodies often enough to even perceive that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's part of being intuitive, being accessible to your body. Yeah. For sure. It's like I feel like the way you're describing this is almost like a receiver. Yes. And yes. Our, got, yes. And we're picking up this information that is not based in language like words. Energy. But it's an energy language that our body perceives and then the brain gets engaged later. Yes. That's a great way of describing that. I really like that. And I yeah. so that's that's perfect. Really good stuff there. Yeah. I tell it, people. Oh, I I, say, I tell people we communicate energetically first and foremost. That's why when people, mm-hmm. you know, you're thinking about someone and then they call you. Yeah. That, that's just energy. You were just aware of their energy. That's it. You know, some people go, oh, you know, you're psychic. It's like, yeah, yeah. You can call it psychic. You can call it intuitive. It's basically energy. We We communicate that way first and foremost. And that's what we... We don't understand. I call this a learning and developing energy intelligence is the intelligence of the, our body is a receiver of energy. It's a commu- It's a transmitter and receiver of energy. And our intuition is the skill or the sort of the mechanism by which we are doing this thing, <laughs> transmitting and receiving. It's a word that we use to describe it. But it, it's really just the energy. And most of us, because we can't see it, we go, well, there's no evidence. And so we devalue it and we shove it down and we override it. And we say, and that's why it's socially inconvenient because what's convenient and what's acceptable is data. What's convenient and what's acceptable is something that you could hand someone on a piece of paper that says, look, this is what's really happening. Mm. And yet so much of communication happens outside of that. So this receiver, this energy, tell us a little bit more about human design and what it is and how it relates to intuition. Yeah. So we communicate energetically first and foremost, right? And our human design is a map of our energy. It's a map that shows us our intelligence, actually our energy intelligence. It shows us how we process and experience emotions, the emotional intelligence, how we process and experience mental thoughts and our, the way we process things mentally, the way we think about things. Do we, are we more abstract? Are we more logical? Right brain, left brain. It shows us our fears and how our intuition works, like our survival instinct. How are we going to how can we develop? How are we already using our intuition? Some people are more smell oriented. Some people are more auditory. So that's why when I heard that and or visual, so when I see things or hear things, I have an immediate knowing of things when I hear someone's voice. So as a speaking coach, as a communication coach, when I'm listening to someone's talk, I can tell when they've hit their true authentic voice hmm. in my body, in my receiving, it feels like angels singing. It's like, oh, it's like a, it's like, oh, that wasn't an angel singing. That was something else. But anyway, it, it feels true throughout my whole being. And I can look at my human design and see exactly how I'm receiving that and how I process it. It shows us our business skills. It shows us how teams work together. You know, Google did a huge study, funded a huge study to figure out like, how do the the most ideal teams work together? Like they tried to really figure out, well, what really makes a great team work together? And yet they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't actually come up with, they came up with some, you know, strategies and they're like top five things that, you know, that are really helpful to help develop a strong team but they actually never came to the exact reason why certain teams work well together. Well, with human design, we have the science to map that out. I can literally organize and map out a team based on the energy of each of the members of the team 
and how they will work together and interact. It gets that, that to that level. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's really cool. So it's basically describing our vehicle, our receiving vehicle and how, what we're transmitting and what we're receiving and how we interact and communicate with others. So that's the way I talk about human design and look at it and use it, you know, with communication all the time. So a little bit more on that. Would a person, if they were to take this human design approach around teaming, teamwork, Mm -hmm. would they hire and promote and construct a team based on a composite of human design outcomes that, you know, would, 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 could you really literally use it in terms of you fit in my team, you don't because of your human design map? You could. Would, would you use <laughs> yeah, it that way? Honestly, you know, I'll give you a, a quick example is uh, I'm part of a team with the BG5 Business Institute. So the BG5 Business Institute is the human design application in business. And so before I came onto the team, the team, there was just three of them on the team and they were struggling because there were gaps in the in specific energies that need to be there in a team setting. So for instance, like administration and vision and you know the glue that holds a team together, those are mapped in the design. So we look at that, we're like, oh, you know, boy, it seems like we're always, you know, falling down in this one area. We can do these types of things, but then things just leak. It's like if you're experiencing any sort of team, like things are not, they're falling through the cracks, right? Whatever that looks like, then there's a probably a gap in the team. And so when I came onto the team, I filled those gaps. My individual design filled the gaps of the team design. And immediately we all everybody started being more productive. We started, mm. you know, having like whatever wherever they were leaking energy before, I brought that energy to it. And so they they brought me on, they invited me to be on not only because my design completed the, we call it a penta, uh, a group of five, a small team. Not only energetically did I fill it, but they were like, yeah, we could hang with you. We like you. You know, you have, you bring something, not just your energy, but you bring, right, the spirit to the team that is, you know, your personality. So yes, we can literally go, hey, I, you know, I worked with a, a local company and looking at their team design and it's like, hey, here's the gaps that are missing bring in a couple of your practitioners to the meetings. They don't have to be part of the whole team, but if they bring that energy, it closes the gap and you'll be able to access that, those skills that are necessary for a team to work better. I, love, I absolutely love this. This is a great topic. Yeah, it's maybe, super maybe cool. Quick uh, follow-up to that. So as you know, we're in a era right now where finding any kind of employee even if they're just not even qualified, but we're in a real talent shortage. And, you know, even in small towns like Bend, Oregon, they're, they're really struggling. And even big cities like Phoenix, the biggest issue I hear is finding qualified people. And so way a lot of these organizations are having to deal with not the ideal. I got to keep this person on board because to let them go would mean that I would have a huge gap and we wouldn't get the work done. So mm-hmm. uh, poor, mediocre employees are better than no employees. I mean, it's mm-hmm. in some cases, it's that bad. Mm-hmm. So then is it possible to train coach people to change their energy using your human design words to be able to evolve in an area that they might be deficient, essentially, is there agility here or are you the way you are and that's just it? It's a really good question. So our design does not change. It, it is objective. It does not change. However, how we express the design can change. So yes, we can evolve. We can build and develop skills. But what I see more often than not is that people just don't understand what their skills are and they don't understand what their strengths are. And so they keep doing what they're 
mediocre at instead of doing what they're really good at. And, you know, there can be a pool of talent in someone's company that because they might say, well, they don't have their, you know, they don't, they only have their associate's degree or something like that. They don't have the skills. And it's like, actually they do. It's in their design. It's so innate to them. They haven't seen it. They can't, it's unconscious. We can map the conscious and unconscious in human design. So it's unconscious. They don't even actually know that they're good at it. But if you put them in the right place, they'll blossom. Hmm. And then also there's the, you know, mapping out how people are going to communicate with one another. So you might say, you might have somebody who's just the right person, but in the wrong position or the, you know, and vice versa. And so you can move them around or say, hey, this person, when they're around X leader or these this team, they work better individually. They need to be more working individually. They'll actually function at a higher level when they're just on the outside of the team versus having to having to work. They're not a team player. And yet you can find a way to have that person still engage and give their best but work with their energy. So it's really about, you may have the, you may actually have your ideal people right there. It's just slight tweaks to have them be more in their own personal flow. And then when they're in their personal flow, then they contribute to the, the flow of the whole. They feel seen, they feel recognized. And it's really, it's interesting because it's looking at it at, a, at the root level, at the energetic level. Not just, hey, who has the degrees? Who has the experience? You know, like it, it's looking at it in a very objective way. So I'm trying to find the question that I could ask on this one because there's so many things going on in my I head. Know, right? Describing like, oh, my, my head's exploding here. <laughs> so chicken or egg, are we matching the human design energy of a team to a requirement that a department may have is that kind of how it's is there alignment to the company's i'm not saying competencies so much but there there's certain kinds of energies i'm assuming maybe tell me if i'm wrong that are needed for certain functions than others meaning I'm, this is a team of payroll experts, and they are going to share best practices, but they pretty much are individual contributors, and they're doing very data-focused situations. They're working indoors. They're working with computers versus this is another team who are out in the public, and they're sailing, and they're meeting with, with potential clients, and that's a different kind of energy. Yep, we, exactly. So mapping to the company's requirements? Yeah, so... Right. A company has different departments, right? Even if it's just a very small company and you only have a team of five people, there's still all the different aspects of a business that need to be there, right? The accounting, the PR, the, you know, the marketing, the, the administration, the vision, uh, the ability to amass and distribute resources, the glue, the culture, and also kind of how the coordinating of people and the group, right? So those are just a few of, there's 12 business skills that are mapped in, in the design. Hmm. And then when we have even larger organizations, then we're looking at, you know, the departments of competition and again, marketing and HR and all of that. We can map all of those things in human design. And so what we're looking at is we're looking at it at a couple levels. Number one is the team. So think about it this way. Like you've, I'm sure you've worked with teams where you walk in and it, and there's a, it feels full It in a good way. It feels like the team is working, humming along. It's got, there's good communication. They might have challenges, but there's a, it doesn't feel like there's any leaks. Right. And mm -hmm. that, you walk into the room and you feel that you can, you can perceive that yet, or you could walk into another room and you walk into a meeting and people don't show up on time. The, you know, there's, there's miscommunication. There's, and usually what's happening in there is that there's gaps in the team. And so we can look at that and see and diagnose what's going on at a very 
core level, not even having to, it's not about the personalities that, that are there. And we could say, hey, here's what's going on. You have people that are trying to compensate and be someone they're not in order to make this work. And if you just brought someone in who has this capacity, this energy, this contribution, it would allow people to be in their strength and not trying to overcompensate in some other way. And so again, it just depends on the, on the business, whether you're looking at a smaller team or a larger organization or a small team within a larger organization, even a partnership, two partners, you know, where are they going to push each other's buttons? Where are they going to bump up against one another? Where are they going to have different styles of making decisions and different ways of experiencing their emotions? Those are the types of things that we can look at. So one last question here before we wrap up, and, and yeah. then I also want to kind of hear what's coming up for you so that people can connect to projects or books or TED Talks or whatever you're going to be mm-hmm. doing here in the future. But so I just came back from working with a company for two days and day one, there was a guy, we'll just call him Jack. Mm-hmm. And he was completely shut down, very silent. I could, I could just feel that he was holding back, but didn't feel safe to speak up. The reasons which don't really matter, but it was a lot of dynamics within the team and some dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So through some process of facilitation and getting some trust going and getting him to participate and getting some of his desires heard and accepted and validated, day two, he came back and he was just Mr. Chatty Cathy. I mean, he couldn't stop talking. He, mm-hmm. It was almost like he was talking too much, it was, but it was funny. He was engaging. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was completely tuned in, dialed in, and he was, he was just a completely bright, shiny guy. Mm-hmm. Opposites there. Mm-hmm. What happened there from a human design perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... My guess is that he was, you know, without looking at their designs or or any of that, is that he was recognized and something in the experience that you, you know, in that facilitation allowed him to be seen and mm-hmm. invited and recognized such that he felt like his contribution mattered. Now, again, you know, that's my gut hit is on, there was something in the dynamics that happened. But when I, what I'm thinking about when I'm listening to you talk is that sometimes when we have to do that kind of work, there's a lot of people take it really personally, right? Like it feels very personal. Like maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe that I'm, I should be doing it a different way or whatever. And when we look at the design, it's like, it's very mechanical. We can say, look, here's, you guys are pushing each other's buttons and here's how it's working. There's nothing wrong with either of you. And there's no, there's no story to come up with it. Just, this is how it works. And you know, you can choose differently. You can, you can, you could just recognize that and go, oh, that's right. Hey, you know, we push each other's buttons, but I have a lot of respect for you. And I recognize that this is just a, this is just a mechanical issue, right? It's just a, it's just the way our designs interact and there's nothing personal. And, and that just drops the, the barriers to communication and, and, and engagement because we take it out of this, like, there's something wrong with you or wrong with me. And into, hey, it just, this is the way it works. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, Chris, this has just been a fascinating conversation. I have gotten a lot out of this. It's really helped clarify yeah. for me some things that I've been kind of grappling with, and maybe those who are listening to this as well. What's coming up? What should we be looking for if we wanted to follow what you have to contribute? What kind of projects mm-hmm. you might be involved in? Thanks for asking. So I actually am starting a podcast myself. It's called Living Design Podcast and it launches June 3rd. So check that out. I'm talking about interviewing people, looking at their designs and and then talking about energy intelligence and developing it in, in different ways at, you know, personally and professionally. And then, you know, chrisprochaska.com, people can check out what I'm up to next. I will be teaching some human design courses in the next few months as well. So if people are interested in learning more about that. But really, I'm, you know, working mostly with speakers and leaders around communication and that true authentic expression, especially when people have a very provocative message or they're really experiencing a lot of challenges with getting their message and their marketing and their, 
their, you know, communication dialed in in a way that they're received and feel heard and feel like they're making the contribution that they came here to make with their gifts and their strengths and their intuitive abilities. Well, this has just been great. And from a personal note, I just have to say thank you so much for mm -hmm. your friendship and your yeah. support of me going through my TED Talk experience. It was yeah. wild. And you were such a, an affirming voice for me to you know get out of my head, get back into my gut, go back mm -hmm. to what I know. Don't try to be anything that I wasn't. I remember I, even from an energetics perspective, I as you know, you were there. Uh, we had a rehearsal day before the big event. And yeah. the notes that you gave me was, Dean, you're just not being yourself. Just It's not who you are. You're pushing it. And go mm -hmm. back to being your authentic intuitive person that you are. And that was like the best note that I had. And the next day, hopefully came off a little bit more, you know, real I and did. more authentic and more intuitive. And I felt yeah. that way. And I appreciate your, your comments and, and your guidance. So thank you so much yeah. for, for this time. And I'm looking thank forward you. to seeing what sort of things you got coming up in the future. I know. Likewise, likewise. I'm so excited for you. And I'm really, I mean, it was such a pleasure and so much fun to work with you with, with TEDx and, and this. And yeah, awesome. Thank right. you so much for having me. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.